want to let you know up front where I'm going with the message this morning. It's kind of like a message in reverse. We're going to kind of have the invitation now, but not really now, but I just kind of want to let you know what the invitation is going to, uh, to include. At the end of the sermon, part of the response is going to be a call to repent. Because I think some of you will have an, will, the Holy Spirit will show you that you have an ungrateful spirit, an unthankful heart, and you'll need to confess that as sin. Others of you, or maybe all of us, will need to respond, and I would like for you guys to join me in a fast. Now you say, now wait a minute, I'm eating turkey and mashed potatoes and gravy and and corn on the cob and all of that kind of stuff, you know, cranberry sauce. I'm eating all that stuff this Thursday. We got Christmas and Christmas cookies and, and Christmas pies. We got all kinds of stuff, and you want me to fast? Yeah, but I don't want you to fast from food. For the next 34 days, this will be till the day after Christmas, I want you to fast from complaining. Now, I know what some of you are doing. You're complaining about me calling you out to stop complaining. You're already going, I can't do that. What am I going to talk about for the next 34 days if I don't complain? Well, I, I understand for 34 days... I want you to be part of a fast of no complaining. No complaining about the weather, money, the lions, Rich Rod, not getting that eight-point block, traffic, work, kids, wife, husband, wife, kids, husband, wife, kids. You got the idea, right? Standing in line, waiting in line, bad grade on a test, so-and-so didn't like me, so-and-so didn't friend me off of Facebook. I mean, you got the idea. I mean, we're just going to stop complaining, Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I'm going to die somewhere between the 34 days, you know? But I'm going to really call us and challenge us, call us out, and uh, and ask you to give it a shot. Don't be one of those people who go through life in the complaint center. Now, a complaint is an expression of dissatisfaction or resentment. Now, if you wake up and you have the flu, obviously you need to let the doctor know you have aches and pains. That's not a complaint. That's a report. But now don't take that and, you know, take that to an extreme and say, honey, sit down. I've got a report to give you, all right? That's not not what we're doing here. A report, a complaint is is a expression of dissatisfaction or resentment. Let me give you some of the synonyms that describe a complainer. These are wonderful words like grouch. By the way, I really just... I don't even want you to amen. I just want you to point to grouchy people, you know, as I, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So people are going, oh yeah, right there. Yeah. So we got the grouchers, you know, then we got people who are, who are critical all the time. Then we have, you know, the grumps. People are just grumpy. None's ever good. You heard about the guy or the wife who was going to make her husband was just this chronic complainer. It's one of my favorite little things to tell during our family series. But his wife was a, his, the husband was a chronic complainer. And the wife decided she was going to make the best breakfast ever. So she had, she had eggs fried, scrambled, over medium, over easy. She had crispy, extra crispy, lean bacon. She had sausage patties, sausage links. You know, she had milk, coffee, decaf, regular. She had orange juice, grape juice, prune juice. I mean, she had it all. Brought it to him, served him breakfast in bed. And the guy was such a complainer, he looked at it and just, 
just, and finally he was so ate up with himself and complaining, he said, well, you've done it again, honey. Tears were in eyes. She said, well, what'd I do? She, he said, you fried the wrong egg, you know? Some people are just going to complain about anything, so I want you to stop. I don't want you to be this grumpy thing. We have so much to be thankful for. It's a great time of the year. So I want you to take the, the plunge. By the way, here's another great word for a complainer. A whiner. A whiner. You know the whiners, don't you? Maybe they live next door to you. The whiners. Always whining about something. See, a whiner not only complains, but they have this little attitude in their voice. You know, why whiny kind of thing. It's hard not to complain. It really is. So I want to, <laughs> and, and at the end of the service, I'm going to ask you to take a no complaint fast. So until we get there, just relax and quit complaining in your mind and see what the Lord has to teach us. Well, the opposite of complaining is thankfulness. It's gratitude. And thankfulness, for it to be truly thankful, needs to be grounded in the awareness of objective truth. Truth that is real. Truth that has substance. Truth that has validity. Truth that has strength. An objective truth is real truth. It can be applied to uh, things that have happened in the past, things that are promised or guaranteed in the future. True gratitude, true thankfulness... For it to find depth of meaning is not to be found in the blessings you get, but in the giver that gives them. Because, see, we got a lot of times that we are thankful for things that people can't deliver. You understand what I'm saying? Well, let me see if I can explain it to you this way. Uh, we've been working hard on this message, and, uh, and, and so I just kind of want to let you know we got great news for everybody here today. It's awesome news. And uh, we, we've kind of worked this out. We've, we've worked it out with the bank and worked it out with Don and our general fund. And, and thanks to a benevolent benefactor, everybody, everybody, going to leave here today with $1 million. Oh, you don't believe me. You see, right behind that wall over there, you say, well, you got to have Bill Gates. Oh, I got somebody better than Bill Gates. You say, well, you got to have Oprah. She gave out a new car. People, please, Oprah gives the car. We give a million. You know what I'm saying? So let me introduce you to the guy who's going to give each of you a million dollars. Ladies and gentlemen, you give it a nice round of applause for Mr. Drew Anthony right here. Now, uh, Drew, this is so great of you that, that you are going to give everybody in this room one million dollars. That's just us. All right. Maybe, maybe my notes are wrong here. Excuse me. Just a second. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not a million dollars. It's a hundred thousand dollars. Ten thousand. A thousand. A hundred. A buck, a penny, Drew. Excuse me just a second. What are you doing, man? I brought you out here. You told me we had this thing worked out. What are you doing here? 
ladies and gentlemen, would you give it up for Mr. Drew Anthony right there? Fact is, we could all be thankful if somebody gave us a million dollars. Fact of the matter is, Drew couldn't deliver, I couldn't deliver. I don't know anybody in this church who can deliver a million dollars per person. By the way, if you can, please see me right after the service. It's a great promise. But for the promise to have merit, for, it, for us to truly have a gratitude heart, it's not about the, the, the gift that's promised. It really lies in the person that promised it. See, a lot of times we look to the things or the events to make us happy. And really the blessings of life and the things of life that we get, the true gratitude comes when we acknowledge the giver of those gifts. The greatest giver of any gifts that you have is God in heaven. Turn to Psalm 139. We're still in the series Psalms in the Key of Life. And Psalm 139 is a song of lament. It's a song of thanksgiving. It is a song of triumph to God. It is just one of those great songs that, uh, that you find that the singer had a lot to be thankful for. And this psalm is loaded with theological stuff, man. This thing has got a lot of stuff in it. Theologically, it's got, it, it's got the theological doctrine of Emanus. Emanus means the nearness of God, the closeness of God. That God is so close that he can touch us, love us, hold us, guide us. As the psalmist would write, be before us and be after us. Then there's the theological stuff of transcendence. That not only is God involved in our creation, but God stands alone and can't exist outside of creation. God is not dependent on the sun or the moon and the stars like you and I are. He's not dependent on air and oxygen and water like you and I are. He stands before and independent of creation. He stands independent of everything. He is an independent, self-sufficient being. You and I are insufficient, dependent beings. He is infinite, we're finite he's transcendent we're limited he's transcendent matter of fact that, that with with the advances in physics and quantum physics and, and and those kind of things they now know that that there are many more dimensions except beyond the three that you existed there are many more dimensions that are out there i want you to know god transcends all of the dimensions the ones that are discovered and the ones that are undiscovered. He transcends them all. And then in this psalm, you're going to find a word like omniscience. This is a wonderful word. It means God knows everything. He knows the answer to the algebra problem you missed. He knows the answer to the physical ailment that you have. He knows the answer to the biggest struggle in your life. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He is omniscient he knows it all he knows what happened yesterday he's no he knows what's happening today and he's going to know what happens in the future god knows everything past present and future it's right there in psalm 139 then the bible also talks about how god is omnipresent that means that god is everywhere present at the same time that there is no place where God is not this was tremendously important to me when I went to Russia the first time it was about a year after 
And there was still a lot of turmoil in the air, and you remember those days. And, and as I traveled over to Russia, literally, you, you can flip the globe around, and it's almost exactly on the other side of the world from where I live, what I know, where my comfort level is. So I went there, only knew one family, and man, I am telling you, it was a tremendous truth to grasp the hold again of the theological doctrine of God's omnipresence, that God, the same God that comforts me here, the same God that speaks to me here, the same God that, that challenged me, guides me, and leads me here is the same God that was on the other side of the earth. That's encouraging, isn't it? Matter of fact, there are churches that have already had church this morning, and the same God that is here was there. It's just incredible that God is everywhere present. Now, I'm amazed that you and I think we can run and we can hide from God or we can run and we can hide our sins from God. Uh-uh, can't happen. He's everywhere and he knows everything. And then some also tells us this theological concept of he's omnipotence. He has all power. That there is nothing that he cannot do. In accordance to his character. Now God will not lie. That's outside of his character. He's not going to do that. God can do anything in accordance to his character. He has all power. If you were to try to take those five theological truths and just try to think one of them through, two of the five through, three of the five through, or all five through, I'm telling you, you would do well to give it some thought. But the psalm writer wasn't interested in theology. He lived in the real world. He talked about how we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And as he would talk about the omniscience of God and the omnipresence of God and the transcendence of God and the manse of God, he would describe and start to look and right there in the middle of it all, he would say, in the King James I am version of your Bible, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And maybe sometimes you forgot how wonderful you are. I'm not talking about your personality, please, your complainers. Let me just kind of share with you how you're wonderfully made. We breathe 60 million times over an average lifespan. With every breath containing over a billion trillion air molecules. Every breath. These air molecules enter 300 million A-L-V-E-O-I-L-I, however you say that, that provide a total surface area of half the size of a tennis court. The hemoglobin in each red blood cell can carry one million molecules of oxygen to each cell. That's pretty incredible. What about your eye? Go ahead, touch your eye. Wipe the little sleepy junk out of your eye. It contains over one million rods and cones that take in continuous pictures under light conditions that can, be, that can vary by a fact of 10 billion. Individual retina, retinal photoelectric cells are so sensitive that they can be triggered by one billion, one billionth, the amount of the light emitted by your flashlight. And in the one-third of a second, the retina solves the equivalent of nonlinear differential equations that would take a supercomputer 100 years to solve. You're fearfully and wonderfully made by a transcendent God who's omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, and yet is close to his creation. Well, what about your ear? 
And go ahead, stick your finger in your ear. I was going to stick a real picture of an ear up there, but that's kind of an ugly thing, isn't it? I mean, an ear? You ever watch Star Trek? They do crazy things with the ears. You ever seen a Ferengi? You know, <laughs> you trackers. You know, the ear has a million moving parts can vibrate 20,000 times per second, can hear sounds over a range of intensity that varies by a trillion, and can distinguish among 2,000 different pitches, sound waves that move the eardrums less than the faintest sound audible, having a negligible pressure of one ten thousandths, the push of a healthy mosquito. <laughs> the ear can gauge the direction sound comes from based on... 0.00003 second differential and its arrival from one ear to the other ear. In other words, you can figure out where it's come. It has a sophisticated balance mechanism containing 100,000 hair cells that keep you sitting upright and not tipped over in your seat. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. By a transcendent God who spoke and said, let there be light, and there was. Who formed you and I out of the dust of the earth. Breathe the very breath of life into us, this transcendent, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, immanent God. Oh, what about your nose? Go ahead, touch that thing. That's kind of ugly too, isn't it? You know that thing keeps growing? Uh, I'll tell you a funny story. When Blake was born, the first thing Terry said when she looked at him, she said, look at his nose. It's so big. <laughs> the human nose can distinguish 10,000 different smells. Go ahead, take a whiff. Including some chemicals presence only to one part in 400 million parts of air. That's why you and I will enjoy Thursday the smell of turkey, mashed potatoes, gravy, corn on the cob, and pumpkin pie. But the psalm writer didn't care about theology. He had just been through a serious event in his life. And I'm going to read out of the, end, New, Inter the New Living Translation. And I normally read out of the New, Inter New International Version. Today I'm going to step into that because it's a psalm, it's poetry, it's a hymn. And in my opinion, I think that it captures the essence and the... And the feel and the flow of the original Hebrew better than the New International Version. So up on the screen, it's the New Living Translation. It's got pros and cons, but I like the way that it handles Psalm 139. Listen to his trouble that he was in. Oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you and your enemies take your name in vain. Oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those that hate you? Shouldn't I despise those that resist you? Listen, this guy wasn't singing praise and thanksgiving when life was good. The Psalms are made up of many Psalms of thanksgiving. One of the common characteristics of a psalmist thanksgiving is that it was written in a time when things were not going well. And a lot of us times we read the Psalms and we read the, the Bible and we go, well, certainly they can praise God because life was going good. I want you to know in Psalm 139, life wasn't going good. This guy was on the run. He was heavily persecuted. 
whatever his situation is, he, there was uh, evidently a grand number of folks who, who uh, just kind of befuddled his reputation and his character and, and were just always on him and hounding him. And, and he had to stand up under trial and adversity. And in that trial and adversity, he didn't complain. He thanked God. And he didn't care about the theological words that we ascribe to Psalm 139. I'll tell you what he was thankful for. He was thankful for a God that knows me. Would you look at verses 1 through 5? The Bible tells us this. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or I stand up. You know my every thought when far away. You chart the path ahead of me and tell me where to stop and rest. Every moment you know where I am. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. You both precede me and follow me. He's omnipresent. He's in front of you, behind you, above you, below you, and around you. You place your hand a blessing on me and then he just says such knowledge is too wonderful for me. My mind just can't grasp it. I'm just thankful, God, that you know me. The Hebrew in verse 1 says, Oh, Lord, you've examined my heart and you know me through and through. Every little thing about him. The Bible would tell us in the book of Matthew that Jesus knows the number of the hairs on our head. For some of us, that's a declining number. I understand that. But he knows everything, the minutest little detail. Why? Why would this transcendent God who exists independent of nature, why would this transcendent God who is not dependent on you or me, why would this omnipotent, eternal, self-existent one even care about you and me? You can grab onto your seat because he loves you. He doesn't love you like some moms love and spoil a child. He loves you enough to know you through and through. To call you out when your spirit is a little too complainy, a little too grouchy, your attitude a little too snippy. He loves you enough to discipline you. He loves you enough to chart your path. He loves you enough to say, okay, it's time to stop. It's time to take a rest. It's time to refuel. And then he loves you enough to give you a swat on the rear and say, okay, let's go. It's time to get going again. You've sat long enough. It's time to get back in ministering and serving in the kingdom. See, he knows us. And somehow that just got a hold of the singer's heart, that he knew everything about it. And the idea is that he accepts us, he loves us, that God is with us in every situation, every trial. He knows Every hurt and every joy. He knows and he loves us completely. He knows his own intimately. When, when the writer of the book of Psalms, or when the writer of Psalm 139 says, Oh Lord, you've examined my heart. You know everything about me. Somehow that kind of tends to resonate on a factual basis. If you read it from the King James, it even seems a little farther removed. If you read it out of the NIV, maybe a little less farther removed. But I'm telling you, God is not a God who sits way off yonder somewhere and just watches from a cerebral throne and a majestic throne on high. He's a God who knows you so well 
that he not only knows what frustrated you Friday before you left work, he also knows about the bad news you're going to get this week. He also knows the way that you're going to still kind of gripe and complain amidst of all of the blessings that he just keeps dumping on you. And he's just going to continue to know you through and through and through. Isn't that awesome? When I was a kid, not even as a kid, as an adult, I know people. If you got one little flaw, man, they write you off. You ever met folks like that? And they say, well, I have such high standards. That if you don't measure up, then I just kind of write you off. Boy, that's a holier-than-thou attitude, isn't it? Aren't you glad God doesn't do that with us? Anybody in here not got a flaw? Oh, man, we all got them. See, the amazing thing about God is he knows your mess-ups. He knows your your screw-ups. He knows when you just didn't pull your weight spiritually. But he knows you through and through. And it moved the writer to such a degree that he said in verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to know. So he's grateful that God knows him through and through. By the way, that's where Emmanuel comes in. The closeness of God, the nearness of God, the God who's a part of our lives. But then he said, not only am I glad that he knows me, he said, man, I'm grateful that God sees me. Look at verses 7 and following. He says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the place of the dead, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the farthest ocean, even there. Where? The farthest ocean, the wings of the morning. There your hand will guide me. And there your strength will support me. Did you get it? He's saying, listen, God sees me and no matter what my problem, no matter what my issue, no matter what my travail, no matter what my struggle, God sees me and his hand will support me. He sees me. You ever try to help your kids? Sure, all of us have. When we want our kids to kind of learn how to walk, and as soon as they start to stumble, we kind of stick our arm out and just give them a little, little hand there to put their weight on. You ever help the senior citizen who maybe struggles to walk? What do you do? You stand your hand out so they can put their weight on your strength. God does the same thing. He says, I see you. I know when you're weak. And hey, I put my hand out. I strengthen you. I know when you spiritually struggle. I don't bail out on you. I extend my hand. I strengthen you when you're weak. I understand what you're going through. I don't run when you run into temptation. But I'm there calling you back, loving you, and trying to support you in your spiritual walk and in your spiritual commitments. Well, keep reading. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in the darkness, I cannot hide from you. In other words, he's saying there's no way I could even hide from you. To you, the night shines with the bright day. Darkness and the light are both alike to you. He's basically saying, listen, you see me all the time. You never take a nap. You never go to sleep. You watch me 100% of the time. How does God see you? If you were the only person on this earth, and there's 6 billion of us, if you were the only person on this earth, God would see you to the same degree that he would see you if it was just one of you. He gives us that same attention if there's 6 billion of us. He sees us. Oh, by the way, he wraps it up and he says, you know, 
I'm thrilled, I'm thankful because there's a God that cares for me. Listen to verse 13. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Have you ever seen your mom all knit? You ever seen your mom all knit? My mom all would knit, crochet. Her hands were all over those needles and all over that ball of yarn. And I'd sit there a lot of times as she'd take the yarn and, you know, hold it. And she'd do the little ball thing and have her house, she'd do it. And she'd knit and that kind of thing. Her hands are all over it. I'd rather think this is what the verse is saying. When he said, you knit me together in my mother's womb. In other words, he was saying, when you formed me, when at the very moment of conception, your hands were all over me. Putting me together. Loving me. Seeing me. Knowing me. Knowing my DNA. (laughs) Knowing what color my hair would be. (laughs) Or not be. Knowing... How tall or short I would be. How heavy or skinny I would be. Knowing everything about me. Knowing my, my, what I would do right and what I would do wrong. And yet, even knowing you care for me. I don't know about you, but that's definitely a whole lot more to be thankful for than a turkey on a table on Thursday. See, here's what most of us will do. Let's be honest. Here's what most of us to do. Because gratitude is that spiritual virtue that opens the door of the soul to the world around us. And one of the great tragedies of the human spirit is to become a prisoner of ingratitude. Because ingratitude shuts the human spirit up in a world lightened only by self. Which is no light at all. Ingratitude creates a dark dungeon of selfishness. Because there's no horizon to give perspective to an individualistic worldview. Ingratitude is a closed system that prohibits the individual from opening up to God and opening up to others. Gratitude, on the other hand, throws the door to this prison wide open and liberates the soul to thank God for what he has done and who he is. And it is a very freeing thing. So how thankful are you? Dr. Dale Robbins writes, I used to think people complained because they had a lot of problems. But I've come to the realization that they have problems because they complain. Complaining doesn't change anything or make the situation better. It amplifies frustration, spreads discontent and discord, and can convoke an invitation for the devil to cause havoc in our lives. Complaining makes us miserable. Psalm 77 in verse 3 says, I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Complaining is the arch enemy of thanksgiving. And the two cannot exist in the same heart. So I challenge you today. If you've got a heart that's ungrateful. If you think what you got is because you got it. You haven't got it. You and I need to develop a thankful heart. Oh, I can throw the words and use the words and talk to you on a theological basis about transcendence and manas and omnipresence, omniscience and omnipotence. But what I really think you need to know is that he knows you, he sees you, and he truly loves and cares for you. And if you never get another gift from the giver, let me tell you what you do have. You have the presence of the giver, God himself. In your life. Now maybe some of you need to repent. Of your critical, negative, grouchy, snippy, whining spirit. 
Maybe some of you look around and see what you don't have or see the things that other has and, and just feel that somehow God has been unfair to you. Listen, it is not what you have that is the biggest blessings in life. It's knowing the one who has given you what you got. We used to sing an old song. I guess we still do sing it from time to time. I'm sure it's sung in my church back home this morning. Remember the old hymn, When upon life's billows you are tempted, tossed. When you are discouraged, thinking all is lost. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. For some of you, you may need to quietly confess in your heart the sin of ingratitude and ask the Lord to develop within you a very thankful heart. Would you pray with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, sometimes we just forget because we're used to the gifts. We get used to the blessing. And sometimes we foolishly buy into the false thinking that we deserve those gifts. We deserve those blessings. The greatest blessing that we can have is not what you give to us, but it's having a personal relationship with the giver of all good things. Having that personal relationship with you. Father, I'm sure there's many of us in this room who need to confess the sin of ingratitude. Just for complaining and whining, for not acknowledging you and all the good things you've done for us. And Father, right now in our hearts, I'm going to ask people to commit to a fast from complaining. Put a praise in its place, put a thanksgiving in its place, put a compliment in its place, put a good disposition in its place. But to fast from complaining till the day after Christmas, 34 days. And I know there's going to be traffic and bills and lines, but we are so blessed. We are so blessed. And it's not the blessings that make us blessed. It's the God who gives them to us. And that's why we're blessed. And of all of the things I'm thankful for this holiday season, I am thankful that one day in February in 1967, a little seven-year-old boy named Mike Trimble heard the simple gospel message of Jesus Christ, knelt down in our altar as a sinner, but rose up as a child of the King. And for that, I will be eternally grateful. So, Father, I'm going to ask us, and our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I'm looking around. Maybe a few other folks are, are peeking as well. But here's what I want you to do. If you're going to join me, I'm taking it, man. If you're going to join me on the, on the fasting from complaining, all right, I want you to raise your hand right now and just leave it up. I'm going to fast from complaining. Raise your hand, leave it up. 
Parents, I want you to know teenagers have their hands up. Teenagers, I want you to know parents have their hands up. Keep them up, keep them up. Husbands, I want you to know your wives have your hand, their hands up. And wives, I want you to know your husbands have their hands up. You can put your hands down. Now look this way. We all have so much to be thankful for, don't we? We are so blessed. But we're blessed not because we have a suit to wear or a car to drive to church. We are blessed because this transcendent God who created all that we have, this transcendent God knows us, sees us, loves us, and cares for us. Amen. Our ushers are going to come forward and we're going to receive our Sunday morning tithes and offerings. While we're receiving and while I'm saying the prayer with the tithes and offerings, if you're going to be a host in our new members reception, and if you are a new member today, um, during the prayer, go ahead, slip out, maybe grab your children out of Children's Church. They know you're coming for them. And uh, head on down to the, to the gym area. Uh, Wanda and a few others will be there. We'll have just a, a short little reception uh, there in your honor. We're so thankful to have you uh, as part of the fellowship uh, today. And so would you pray with me, please? By the way, do not forget, right after the service, we will have a short uh, baptismal meeting in the middle room on this side, the, wolf, the Wildcat classroom. Uh, I'll be in there for just a moment, but Jack Daniels, a children's pastor, will be leading that. And so uh, I want you to be in that, and, uh, and we'll make sure you have everything you need to know. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I am so thankful that you love us, you know us, Father, I, I am so thankful for the tremendous response, Lord, of just not complaining, of taking the complaint fast. So help us to be faithful to give. Help us to be obedient and to follow our commitment. Help our example to stand in such stark contrast to the ingratitude of the world around us. Help us to be a thankful people. And not only to know it in our hearts, but to express it with our lips. Complaint is an expression of the lips Praise is an expression of the lips from the heart. And so I pray that you bless in Jesus' name. And together we say, amen. Would you stand and sing with Don? And he'll dismiss you.